Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 153. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the 65th anniversary of Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Now, this is a prequel to the first film, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. We discussed that last week. I think we knew then this was going to be a prequel because if it were to be a sequel, a miracle would have had to happen. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that you had never seen this movie uh, movie before. I can tell you I had not seen this film before prior to sitting to discuss it this week. No, hadn't seen King of the Wild Frontier, didn't see this one, but I was so excited for this anniversary and just locked into this so much that we blew past Flight of the Navigator's 35th anniversary. We went back for it, but it created... An abundance of scheduling conflicts for us. It was just a mess. We're just going to say it was just a mess. Now, Buddy Epson is back and Fess Parker are back. Did they do it as well the second time as they did the first time? That, in addition to many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs, especially because they have the holiday sets coming out. So definitely check that out. It is Ohio, 1810. Davy and George Russell have had a productive hunting season and are excited to sell their pelts for a handsome profit. They meet Mike Fink, king of the river, who tries to charge them $1,000 to head down the river to New Orleans. And of course, that price for 1810 is insane. It's insane for 2021, but it's certainly insane for 1810. So Davy and George find a crew and challenge Fink to a race to New Orleans, which they eventually win. And they also befriend Mike, who had been their adversary up to that point. After finishing their race, Davy and George search for Chickawa traders. Uh, a Chickasaw traders, excuse me, uh, to sell them horses. But after Chickasaw hunters catch them, they are held hostage because they are preparing for a war against, as they put it, the white man, uh, after they had killed Kaskakiba tribesmen. Um, apparently, there has been a war going on, and the Native Americans are preparing to fight back. It turns out that the attackers were pirates pretending to be Native Americans, so Davy and George promise to bring them to justice, like they do. Fink takes them down the river and pretends to be a banker who brags about his gold uh, as to bait the pirates out of hiding. They are joined by a minstrel named Colonel Plug, who turns out to be in cahoots with the pirates, uh, as well as Sam Mason and the Harp Brothers. They're all sort of leading this charge together. When the pirates do attack, Fink and his men fight them off, while Davy and George pursue Mason and the Harps into their cave, which they use as a hideout. They subdue the Harps and kill Mason after a powder keg explodes and seals off the cave. They clear the river as well as the Native American's name and continue on to their next adventure which leads to them eventually getting killed at the Alamo. All right, so... uh, 
before we get into any of this, because I've been sitting here holding back laughter as you're reading the plot, you said that a G would be expensive for a river cruise in 2021. Have you seen the Star Wars cruiser pricing? I, I, yeah. But, uh, but I'm saying if I were going to take a river boat just as transit, I'm not on vacation. I'm taking it from point A to point B. Correct. But the, but, but the Galactic Cruiser, you don't actually go anywhere. It doesn't even the move. The irony. Irony of ironies. All right, let's All right, let's get into this movie here. Um where do I start? Naturally, it's a prequel, which we knew was going to happen. This was more of what I was expecting King of the Wild Frontier to be. Oh yeah, me Okay, so we're on the same page here. The characters are just overall more comical. Um this feels like a little bit more of an adventure story. And I'll give King of the Wild Frontier a pass because they did have the whole second act where he's pursuing a career in politics. So it's going to have a different feel just by virtue of not having that element and not focusing on the real life. This is more, I feel like, the myth. This is the folklore, right? Exactly. And this is sort of, you're right, what I expected with King of the Wild Frontier. Um, yeah, and, it, and you're right. It's definitely more cartoony, I think, just with the humor all around and the physical comedy. Um, but what I like is that we jump right into the action here. We jump right into, you know, Davy and George. They're on a hunting trip. They've come back. They've got their pelts. We've got to go sell it. We run into this adversary and Mike Fink. And they waste no time really putting us into an adventure. I mean, I sort of understand it with King of the Wild Frontier. You're trying to establish Davy Crockett as a character. We've not seen him on screen before. Um, I'm not going to say they wasted time with backstory, but they, it was like a lot. Like it was, there was a lot of buildup to get him to a certain point. And, and all of it was necessary. It's not like the movie was slow or anything. But... I agree with you. This is what I thought it would be because what surprised me with King of the Wild Frontier, and I don't know if I really said this last week, was that I think they assumed, or maybe I assumed, that most people knew the folklore that was Davy Crockett. I mean, you're sitting there to watch it because you want to see Davy Crockett come to life on screen. And it was just, I was sort of taken aback with how much backstory they fleshed out and how much they really delved into the character and it wasn't this film this i to go back to what you said this is what i thought we were getting the first time right i don't think that you said that so explicitly last week but i think that that was kind of our consensus was that it was a great character study and what i had liked about it more was his character arc versus any of the adventure stuff um I agree with you. I love that they started with this camping trip because we're still sort of peeling back the onion as to what's the myth and what's the man. So you hear about all the adventures and in King of the Wild Frontier, we get to see a little slice of life when he goes home to his family. Whereas this one, the camping trip sort of shows you how they did it. Like, we know that yeah. they're out on these hunting trips. We know that they're pioneers. We know that they are helping to develop the country. But 
you still you see them as war heroes. We got to actually see that part of it. Uh, But we didn't really see the day to day of how Davy and George are really just roughing it and surviving. So I thought that was an interesting place to to start. Uh, it wasn't a surprise because so many of the, these Disney films, and I've, I've been very critical of this, is that they had to figure out a better way to do these night shoots. Uh, Summer Magic was a disaster. You can see it's supposed to pass for night, and it's clearly dawn, but they don't... They push past the threshold of, like, what's passable for, for nighttime. Um, so here, I'm assuming that they did it on a set um, where they have the camping trip and it's yeah, yeah, actually yeah. dark and and I thought it was you know a little bit of funny comic relief that uh, the skunk crawls into Russell's sleeping bag, but I thought it was kind of out of character that he would be bothered by it. I couldn't tell if he was bothered by the fact that there was a skunk with him or if he was bothered by the fact that it happened again. I got the fir- I got the feeling this was not the <laughs> first time that George dealt with this. I mean, I get it. You don't want to get sprayed. We know that from Figment. Yeah. But um yeah, I I kind of thought he was acting childish about it. Like you would think he would just brush it off and move on. There's a lot of differences, though, I feel like, for George in this movie. We're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, now, we get out of this camping trip, and immediately we get into town because they're looking to jump on this river boat, and they're looking for Mike Fink because they know who he is. They know he's called the king of the river, and while they're looking for him, it's like Mongo. Like, they're looking for him, and the rest of the town is, like, boarding their windows and, like, grabbing their kids, and the women are running away in carriages, and everybody's just afraid of Mike Fink, Um, which I thought was... I I thought it was a funny way to intro who is otherwise a funny character. Like, from the minute we meet him... I actually like Mike Fink a lot. Like, I didn't think I was going to. I thought it was going to be a little too cheesy and a little too hokey. But I think that they towed the line just enough where he's an enjoyable character. I agree, because my first thought was that he's such a caricature of what a bully is. And I think that that was done intentionally because he's very much over the top. Um I think if we had sort of layered him, it would have gone a long way, but he's not really supposed to be the villain because you do have a subplot yeah, and they do end up becoming friends and allies and helping each other. So I didn't necessarily need like a, a full, you know, bad guy turns good. Like there didn't have to be a particular incident that happened where he just totally flips and, you know, does something where he becomes this amazing, heroic, trustworthy character. Um, but there was a point where I thought him being so over the top was going to get annoying. And it never actually did. No. And I think that they, like I said, they told the line very well. And what I love is that when he meets Davy for the first time... You know, he's like, I'm Mike Fink, king of the river. And I thought that was going to get played out. It really doesn't. Um, When they say this is Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, he looks at him and he goes, you're about a foot shorter than I thought you'd be. Because he has heard 
the stories and the folklore of Davy Crockett because his reputation precedes him. I thought that it was really strong writing, actually, because it's tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, it's tongue-in-cheek after you get past the fact that he just backhanded him across the face. Right. I mean, who doesn't love to see the egomaniac get knocked down a peg? But the writing is so clever. It still lands. It's still funny. This conversation is what I thought we were going to see more of in King of the Wild Frontier. And I kind of slammed it a little bit for that last week that we see Davy grinning down the bear. And I would have rather heard that legend play out. And then when you meet him, you know, you get to see that there's there's more than the man that you've heard about when he gets uh, introduced to Andrew Jackson. So I like that both of them have these reputations build up and now everything just sort of comes to a head. Yeah. Now, Fink telling him he wants to charge him $1,000 to bring them down the river, I guess you had to do something that was going to set the race up. And I guess it's a bit of a measuring contest between the two characters. For sure. Albeit a little heavy-handed. Because the thing is, when Davy meets Mike, he's not, well, I'm the king of the wild frontier. He's, like, trying to back down to him, actually, which is sort of out of character for Davy Crockett. But he tells George, like, I'm not out here to cause problems with this guy. We just need to get a ride so we can go sell our pelts. Oh, see, I don't think it's out of character for him because he doesn't. Well, I was about to say he doesn't go looking for a fight. But, I mean, how many times in King of the Wild Frontier... (laughs) Davey, will you stay at home? Nope, nope. Gotta go save America. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think that that's, that's accurate, but I don't think he's going to... No, he will pick a fight with an individual because what happened when he wanted to buy land and bring his family out? He, he yeah. does do that. Um, I think... Davey, I think it's fair to say that he won't pick a fight unless it's a worthy adversary. I think he recognizes that this guy's going to shoot himself in the foot regardless, and he's not going to waste his time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But he's also not the egomaniac. He's not the same thing that Mike Fink is. So I think he's trying to be level-headed, and in this case, it's George that's actually getting a little bit more riled up, which leads us to... They say, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to find a crew. We're going to put a crew together. It, it's amazing to me that Davy is even able to find anybody that's going to jump on this cruise with them because everybody is running away from Mike Fink. So the fact that he found anybody that was willing to take them on was pretty amazing. And George, as only George can do, is in a tavern and accidentally tries to pick up one of Mike Fink's men in a what is a very funny scene with Buddy Epson. Uh, it's hilarious. Well, I don't want to, uh, for people who haven't seen this movie, I don't want to skip over the fact that they also, uh, there's another boat. And that's what they're getting the crew for. They need to find six people to round it out at eight. I don't want to skip over the captain either because he is just fantastic. I don't know how this man is able to operate a boat at his age, but he does. And he's he's just so funny. He's a really great character. He totally seals the scene. Captain Cobb. Yes. Captain Cobb. Uh, who kind of looks like Popeye with a beard. Yeah. But like 
an old Popeye. A very old Popeye. Like, yeah, this is like retired Popeye. Popeye's on the back nine. <laughs> um, so uh, the other thing that's working against them is that they know that the Native Americans have been attacking the riverboats. Or so they think it's Native right. Americans. We're going to learn that it's actually not. Uh, they're they're just taking the blame for everything. Um so that's where it's twice as hard for Davy and George to round up a crew. But Davy, they do cover it in a line where Davy says, I think if people know that I'm on this boat, they shouldn't be scared. Right. Uh, so, yes, they need to round up the crew. And uh, completely out of character for George to get completely wasted and not be able to carry out the task. Although it's not entirely his fault because Mike Fink is in the bar and he makes this concoction. A Mike Fink special. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, when you just look at the size and stature, it's going to take a lot to get Mike Fink drunk because he's enormous. So you give that to George, it's going to do the job pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, the Mike Fink special to me as I look at it, like that could be in the parks. I thought the same thing. I would love to see that in Frontierland because it's smoky and there's a million things in it. You could you could certainly do an upsell. For sure. So now they get George intoxicated. He's swinging from a chandelier. Literally. Literally swinging from a chandelier. But the next day, they eventually round up their crew. They jump on the boat with Captain Cobb, and they sail off to defeat Mike Fink in this race to New Orleans. And Mike Fink does everything he can to stop them. He tries to sabotage their boat, break their rudder. The Native Amer- quote-unquote Native Americans attack, and there's a big fight. Um, it's action-filled. But other than Mike Fink trying to cheat and them finding ways to still defeat him, there's not an awful lot going on here. It's just an adventure down the river. Like, to me, I think this this on its as a standalone works in a television show better than it works in a film. It's not until the movie gets tied together at the end when you get the twist with the Native Americans, that I think this actually carries any sort of weight. Agreed. I think this film does a better job overall. And granted, yes, it was a miniseries. Granted, these were two parts featuring Mike Fink uh, that seamlessly blend together because that was the intent when they aired. As far as the film goes, and we had said this last week, it worked as far as three acts, but you could certainly tell where they picked three separate shorts and cobbled them together to make one film. Uh, and that's why it worked better as a character study than an actual movie beginning, middle, end. Uh, with this one, you can still tell where it's two films or two two shorter pieces, but what I like about it so much is that the whole film wasn't focused on this race because I think that would have dragged on. And there's just enough with Mike Fink where, you know, we said he should be annoying, but he's not. You know his ego is going to get in his own way, but he's smart and he's clever and he does try and undercut Davy and he does try and cheat. 
Uh, but because he's finding creative ways to do it, that's what stops him from just being annoying. And then by the time we do get to the end of this race, there's such a mutual respect between them. And I love how that plays into the second part, that they are friends now and that Davy does have an ally. Because when they part ways, Davy and... George have become part of Mike's crew, uh, but they need to go back into the wilderness. And and you can tell Mike doesn't really want to let them go. He wants to continue on adventures together. And of course, you know, they end up linking back up with him because they need him. Um, But I love that, you know, they're sort of still at arm's length from each other and that they know if they ever need each other, which they do, they're, they're just, they need to send up a flare and that's it. And I think what they do really well here is the fact that as a throwaway line that you've heard a thousand times, if you beat me, I'll eat my hat. But he actually does it when they beat them. And he does it in front of George and Davy, And that it really humanizes Mike Fink a lot. And, and, and what it shows is that he's not just, go, you know, in spite of the fact that he's been trying to cheat his way to this victory, he's not just going to pout. Like, he's going to back up what he says. So he's not a BS artist the way that you think he's going to be. And I think it makes him a far more endearing character. So you root for him when he comes back in the second half of this movie. And it shows that he's a man of his word. And that carries so much weight with Davy, And that's why they have this bond now. I also love that the captain is the one who fishes the hat out of the water and makes him eat it. Yeah. But, and again, when they're parting ways, it's a really sweet moment. Davy and George replaced his hat. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely it if if you're if you're watching the movie for the first time knowing that this was two pieces of a mini series put together you're going to see this and you're going to say this doesn't necessarily make sense for a movie it makes sense for a television show. But they do a good job of tying up that character so you do get excited when he comes back and it's the second half that ties the first half together yeah and i know that's gonna sound weird but until you've seen the movie i don't think you're really gonna like understand what it is i'm talking about and we did uh skip over my favorite scene because they were it wasn't just you know a fight down the river there was a point where mike actually took the rudder uh he took the screws out and the rudder fell off of their boat uh so there's this great scene in a tavern where um you know it's like a best of shooting uh and of course Davy well Davy does something underhanded to win it he does cheat um but that's that's where this film is really well or this part of the film is really well balanced because they really are at odds quite a bit So by the time you get to the end of the race and the end of their journey and they part ways, that mutual respect does feel a lot more earned between the two of them. For sure. Now, the second half of this movie, um, I got to be honest with you. It's I mean, it's fine. Again, it's it's action packed. um, But to me, all it really does is deliver on the fact that Davy is still kind of like a vigilante lawman, right? Like they, they've been avoiding these native American quote unquote native American attacks on the river. And they learn that it's these pirates that are 
staging themselves as Native Americans. And Davy says to the Native Americans, well, I'm going to bring them to justice. And off he goes again. And now he gets Mike Fink back. So he and Mike Fink and, and George, they're not separated for all that long. And in spite of the fact that, to me, it's sort of a basic principle, it still works. Because I like that Davy is what he was. I, I like that he's still a man of integrity. And I like the fact that they bring Mike Fink in now as kind of like he's the bait. Like, we've got this whole, like, gold angle because, you know, pirates like gold, right? So if if we tell them there's gold, they're going to come out. Um, I mean, that, that, that to me is probably the best part of the second half of this movie. Well, what I like about the second half is that there is a big bad, that it was never really supposed to be Mike. Um, you know, and we said that that's established, like, yes, he's an egomaniac. Yes, he's a bully. Yes, he made it very, they made it difficult for each other to complete the race. They were both trying to get ahead. Um, but they always kept Mike so likable that you never could really villainize him. So I like that they deliver on that even further by giving them a common enemy, and now you really do get to see them work together instead of against each other. I agree with you very much in character that Davy says that he's going to bring them to justice because that's what he what 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 he does, and off he goes with Russell. Um, but what I like too is that he kind of smelt the rat from the jump because yeah. he knew that the this group of Native Americans, that this tribe was a peaceful tribe and he's had interactions with them before. So there's a, there's more of a reason for him to want to right this wrong uh, because he knows right away that this isn't something that they would do. And, and Russell calls it out too. Um, although I do think that putting the, the pieces together of what was really going on kind of, adds up too quickly. I think that they could have drawn it out a little bit more. Okay, so I thought the same thing, but is this an issue with this was a television show that they tried to make into a movie? I think so, because once Davy says, no, they're a peaceful people, George is like, well, what if, what if white men were dressing up and impersonating them and they're the ones who are doing the attacks? And everybody's like, yeah. That's gotta be it. <laughs> He may as well have held up the sign that said plot point. And then here come these villains that we know basically nothing about except that they're the bad guys and they're doing this because they're bad. Right. But I do love how we flip the script on Mike now and we stage him as the banker because he just goes headfirst into this role and he puffs out his chest and he gets to be a banker now. Uh, and you've got an already great character <laughs> that he's just stroking his own ego through the rest of this second half. It's hysterical. But I, I like, too, how they um, disguise the gullywomper. Yeah. Uh, and, he you know, he doesn't want his boat messed up, but for his own protection, they have to do it, and they have to, you know, he's got this reputation that he loves, but now he has to protect it. So they have to disguise him. Otherwise, he's going to get attacked just because they know he's Mike Fink. Right. So they fight the bad guys, and they win. I mean, that, that's, that's it. They fight the bad guys and they win, and off they go. Pretty much. Um, I do love that cave, though. 
it's a great set. I, I think, yeah. this, to me, the sets and the costumes are as good in this film, if not better. In fact, the sets might even be better in this movie because I think they were slightly more elaborate because a lot of what you saw in King of the Wild Frontier was exactly that. It was out on the wild frontier. It was battlefields. It was shot out on a farm. You know, this is a little bit more involved. So, uh, like, at its worst, it's just as good, but it's probably better. I think the costuming was definitely better, too, because now you've got this era of all these businessmen and bankers, and, you know, they've got the vest with the the high pockets and the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. watch and the, you know, the watch chain. Uh, and the and the beards too. Mike changes his beard once he gets into this banker character, where he's got the huge mutton chops. Yes, uh, I I loved all of that, but I could totally see this cave being in the parks as well. I want to go to this cave tavern that they have set up because the pirates were trying to call people off the. Ri- That's how they set up their attack. They were trying to call people off the river under the guise of there's a tavern with women in there. Um, which Disney's never going to do. But <laughs> I would love a world where we could go to like this outdoor tavern set up in the cave with these picnic tables and buy a Mike Fink special. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Maybe Tom Sawyer's Island. Can we do that? You know, take a boat up the river and then go to the tavern? I I would live with it. I'd be just I would be fine with it. Just saying. Um but yeah, then they get there and they fight. And I feel like this film ends so abruptly. Again, I think it falls television into show. It was a television show. Yeah. Um, all right. I think you want to talk about a couple of the characters here. I, I mean, there's not much to really delve into because we've already talked about Davy and George. Well, I do want to talk a little bit about George because okay. I feel like he is completely different a little bit too much of a comic sidekick? Yes, that's a great way to put it. Because, yeah, I mean, we, we've we talked about Davy and we've used the word integrity and we used that word a lot last week. I don't think that there's much that really changed about him other than that he's not... I feel like there's two main characters in this movie, him and Mike, really. I think part of the reason Davy doesn't feel like Davy is because he didn't have as much screen time. With George, okay, I'll give you a pass because you didn't intentionally get drunk. But then after, he's so upset that it happened when Davy sobers him up and he apologizes. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. He's always been this stoic sidekick. Like, why aren't you angry that they got you drunk? Why are you like, sorry, Davy, this will never happen again? Um, I mean, I guess because I think that his relationship with Davy just means so much to him that he doesn't want to do anything that would put them at odds or put them in a bad position. I care less about that and and more... I mean, look, it's Buddy Epson. Great again. But I guess if you, if you cast him, you're going to cast him to be funny. And it's not that he wasn't funny the first time around, but I feel like the second time around, they were like, okay, well, listen, we know what we're working with here. We got we to get him to make people laugh. Well, I definitely appreciated that because any anything that was funny in this film was because of him. Like, the riding around the chandelier was absolutely hysterical. He had a lot more one-liners than he did. Yeah. But I feel like you just missed out 
I, I guess that's it because now Davy has the dynamic with Mike. You missed out on the Davy and George partnership. They just felt like companions traveling together, not as much friends as and you know, really just like your ride or die that the, that it felt like in the in the original. Right, right, right. Um Jeff York plays Mike Fink. He's excellent. I just don't think you needed a Mike Fink song. The fact that his crew busts out and starts like singing about all of his accomplishments and how great he is. It's like Gaston to me. And <laughs> like, I guess you have a Davy Crockett song, but the Davy Crockett song sings over the opening credits and sings in transition. It was never supposed to be like Davy with his crew behind him singing about him. Oh, see, that didn't bother me at all because I think that's where this series started to become self-aware because that song was such a phenomenon that it shows kind of how far and wide his stories have gone because now you've got the song that comes back to him and the crew is singing it and even George sings it at one point. Davey's never going to sing it, but that was the difference. And that's where I think the Mike Fink song works because he sings it about himself. Davey's never going to sing about himself. Fair enough. But you're right. It is very much... it. The only thing that separated it was that they sang it on the riverboat and not in the tavern, as far as Mike's song goes. But yeah. it was very much Gastani. Okay. Uh, Clem Bevins plays Captain Cobb. I said it before. Crazy old codger. Fun secondary character. Necessary because you needed them on a boat to get them into this race with Mike Fink. But other than that, I mean, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He doesn't do much for the story, but he was a scene stealer. I, I thought he was great. Yeah. Jocko, played by Kenneth Toby. He's a crew member. He's probably, other than the captain, he's the crew member they lean on the most. He does the most with them. Again, he's fine. Like, that's the thing. Like, other than Mike Fink, I kind of look at... And other than, other than Mike Fink plus Davey and George, everybody else in this movie to me is just fine. You know what I'm saying? Like... I felt that the characters in the first film, as an entire cast, were better than the characters were here. I would agree, especially because they lump the crew into background characters, really. Aside from Jocko, he's really only the one that gets like the name in the face. For sure. And then you have Walter uh, Catlett plays Colonel Plug, the minstrel that's there for like a second that joins them for like a second so that he can report it back to the pirates. Um, okay. Those pirates were going to get them anyway. You didn't really need a double cross. I agree. I, I mean, I like him better in the tavern scene where, um, you know, where they're trying to build up Mike Fink as the banker character. Right. Uh, I like the background music. I like that you kind of feel like he's a shysty character. You know something's up, but I don't think you necessarily needed to take him with you on this journey. Speaking of the journey, that is something I want to I wanna hit on because we haven't yet. We talked about the sets and the costumes being incredible. These boats and the way that they filmed this are 
amazing. I mean, for for the time period, not just for the time period. I mean, it still looks great. They're it working does. boats. They and I think that might also be why the background actors. I don't think they're really actors. I think that they needed people who could actually crew this thing. Could be. I mean, yeah, they shot this thing on location in Illinois. Um, so I guess if you're on an actual river, because they're not, it's not like they're, they're not on a soundstage here. They're on an actual river. Or a lake at best. They're be not on, like fighting a current, but yeah. they're definitely out there. Yeah, but you might be onto something. They needed people that could actually take these boats and, and function them the way that they're supposed to function. Otherwise, you've got a catastrophe on your hands. Right. And don't get me wrong. There are plenty of close-up green screen shots where you can tell they shot it in a soundstage. But um, the stuff that's actually out on the river or wherever they filmed it, it really does look incredible. Agreed. Final thoughts? Um... Final thoughts. I keep going back and forth. I don't know which I which one I like better. Uh, I didn't dislike this one. Um, I like it much more as an adventure story, but I really liked King of the Wild Frontier because of the character story. And I think a lot of that was because of Fess Parker. Um, so it's tough to say which is the better film, but I think think as far as what you're expecting out of a Davy Crockett story this is more well I mean that's what it is one's about the man and one's about the myth and this is the myth and it's it's fun and it's a great adventure so I agree with you I went back and forth on this I think that in terms of overall feel and pacing I like this more as a Davy Crockett movie but I felt that the first movie had so much more going for it, and that's mostly because of the entire cast. Um, and the fact that even though you took three pieces of a television show and put them together, it still sort of worked as a as a theatrical film. It was a little janky, but I can see where they wove a story in there, especially with a lot of those animated transitions. Here, this feels like they took two television shows and put them together. And I don't think that that has to do with the fact that we know that's what they did. That's We know that's what they did with King of the Wild Frontier. But this very much feels it far more than King of the Wild Frontier did. But at the same time, I feel like this pairs much better and it creates a better film overall than having those three acts put together. Those three acts put together do not meld as seamlessly as this does, I will agree with you, because everything that's happening here is happening on the river. There, it's, I'm fighting Native Americans, now I'm a politician, now I'm dead at the Alamo. It it doesn't, I mean, like, yeah, like, that's how it happened, but it it's not as seamless, I agree with you, it's not as seamless, so... Like, both films have things going for them that work very well, and they both have things that aren't so great. I have more fun watching this, but I think I prefer the first movie. 
Yeah, I think I would have to agree with that. And we want to know what you have to say about Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone, this is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, definitely get in touch with me through any of our social media channels at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs, and it's August in the world of Disney, so it means we're getting ready for Halloween, naturally. And that's not just at the parks, that's also with Kelly at Karma and Kismet. She's got her Halloween stuff rolling out right now, and it looks great. Art, print, stationery, apparel, home decor... I mean, honestly, my go-to was always to go to, like, shopdisney.com and, or, or go to the Disney store, rest in peace, when you could do that, <laughs> and get stuff for the house. I think this year, it's going to be Carmen Kismet Design. And that's not just because listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. It's because the product is just that great. You can see all the product online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. OMG, I'm shook. ScarJo's out. (laughs) Who didn't see this one coming? Uh, so if you were looking forward to that Tower of Terror movie that she was producing, uh, that's on hold indefinitely. Uh, well, I mean, you're, you're not surprised, right? Like nobody's really surprised. No, because I mean, look, I, I still stand by what I said. I will still champion her forever for sticking her ground and speaking up for herself and trying to get them to honor the deal but what I realized is that there really was never a deal like you agreed to box off box office back end right and what we were talking about this week I had said it to you there was never any 
protocol or nothing set in stone when they did a home box office release. And I think that's what a lot of people have forgotten is like when we were kids, if you went to go see a movie, you had to wait sometimes six months until you could see it again on VHS or DVD. And the reason being was never about a date on a calendar. I mean, yes, sometimes they would do these releases around the holidays so that you could get a summer movie for Christmas or Hanukkah, or you could get something that came out on Thanksgiving for Easter in your Easter basket. Um, But it was never about the holidays. It was about get the money out of the box office for as long as you possibly can. So when these films would come out opening weekend, you would have a film running for argument's sake, let's say five times a day, 15 times over a weekend. Right. After the first month, when people have seen it, it starts to dwindle. You don't have as many screenings, but you can still go see it if you haven't had a chance to yet. So they would try and like, squeeze all the juice out of the lime for as long as they could in the box office to keep making money. And that's why you couldn't get it on home video yet. So there was never any specific timeline that they had to follow for these releases and streaming has completely changed that. So what I realized very quickly was that for as much as I want to go, yeah, you go girl. It kind of was fighting a losing battle because nothing was ever promised as far as how long this was going to be in the box office before Disney plus did screening it, streaming it simultaneously mess it up. Yeah, absolutely. And you're losing individual ticket sales because a family of four can watch one purchase with one subscription. But as far as a timeline goes, there was never anything promised. Well, yeah, and I kind of said this last week, and I said I'm not going to make a lot of friends, but legally, if it's not in her contract, she can say all that she wants. It's not going to mean anything. You put your name on a contract, and if it doesn't say anything in a contract about streaming, you're out. Right, but I thought a good lawyer might have been able to make the argument that because you are having, let's call it a four-for-one deal, somebody has the Disney Plus subscription you're watching it as a family of four, that's three ticket sales that you lost. So I thought there might be some kind of negotiation where you did the math on how many streams it got and figured out what maybe the individual ticket loss was that they'd maybe try and break even with her. But yeah, I mean, but legally they don't owe her anything. And that's the thing. Like, who do you think has a better attorney? Scarlett Johansson? Or the Walt Disney Company. The Walt Disney Company. And, and like, here's the other thing. There are plenty of states and, and even countries that are still right now, they're still in the dark ages. You right. can't go to a movie theater. So how long is Disney supposed to not release a movie? When, when say, 80%, and it's probably wrong, 80% of the United States can get to a movie theater. Disney's not going to not release a movie. We got to get back to normal. They need to make money. I mean, I know there are people in Canada who I know that cannot go to a movie theater. The only way they were going to see this movie is on Disney Plus. Now, what what right. I now here's where where I was surprised with Disney was how you know for a uh, for a society where we sit on our hands and we choose our words, Disney fought back hard. 
against her when they called her callous. They what they tried to do was throw shade on her right. and make it about you're insensitive during a pandemic, which I'm kind of surprised that that's the turn that they took. I mean, I I would have assumed that they would have given, well, they would have given the Iger answer, not the Chapik answer. The Iger answer of, you know, we, we we understand how she feels, but in these very trying times, you know, we, did, we didn't have many alternatives anymore, and we're trying to see so that all of our fans have an opportunity to, to root the Black Widow on and to see this great film that, Scar- that Scarlet made. No, it was basically... No, I'm not. You're stupid. It was kind of like how it was approached. And I think that's where a lot of the bad press from Disney, where it came from. But damn, if they're not standing by, like, they're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to dig my heels in a little bit more. You are out. No, and that's where they are wrong, because if they wanted to come out of this, not to save face, But if they wanted to stand by the ethics that this company is built on, you would not have knocked down a female producer and canceled her future film. You would have figured out a way to work it out and said, you know what? Maybe maybe this wasn't the most fair thing, but we're going to make this right the next time around. And given her what she wanted and done Tower of Terror as a theatrical release strictly theatrical and then it comes to the streaming service later and made this right and they chose not to do that and you know what that's callous uh no let me tell you why because they can just as easily do the movie and hire another female producer and now you've washed your hands of it as long as you don't hire a male producer you can still sit there and say we're pro women we're pro this movement we're we're, we are about supporting you they could turn around right now and say hey emily blunt since you didn't sue us because she talked about suing them for jungle cruise hey since you didn't sue us why don't we do i'm calling this right now why don't we do the exact same thing we're doing for emma stone and you're gonna get this other movie and we're gonna pay you an absorbent amount of money because we're going basically this is your hush money for hey we're going to kind of make good on the money you lost in box office. It's not going to be quite the same, but it's almost going to be as good. And we're going to overpay for your next service and bring her in to do, say, Tower of Terror. Because I think now that Emma Stone is back with Cruella, my prediction now, we may never really know if this is true. I think because she was on the fence about suing Disney, I think she is going to get such a massive paycheck for this sequel that it's more or less going to make her whole and we all walk away without having any blood on our hands. I agree, and that's what I'm saying that they should have done with Scarlett Johansson. I I hear what you're saying, that they're digging their heels in, but when you think about everything that she has done for this company, because let's not forget, Black Widow was planted in Iron Man very early on. Other than RDJ, she has been in this the longest. She has made the company a ton of money And I get it. It's business. But like Disney is also a company that tries to do the right thing. You could have done right by her if you really wanted to. But it sets a precedent. If they give her what she wants now, that means they can be sued by all of them. They can be sued by any member of that cast, any producer in any of the movies. Because, hey, Luca didn't go to the movie theaters at all. Onward went to the movie theaters for two weeks. Soul didn't go to the movies. They should have sued. If I was on that crew, I would have sued. 
Um, no, but I'm not talking about doing the right thing by giving her what she wants. I'm talking about treating it the same way they did for Emma Stone is we're going to we're going to pursue another project with you and we're going to make up for it. I they could have done that if they wanted to and they are choosing not to. I think part of that is because she and her team were so vocal publicly against Disney. With Emily Blunt, it came out that she was considering a lawsuit. Uh, lawsuit. With Emma Stone, it came out that she was considering a lawsuit. Scarlett Johansson actually did it, and 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 did it in the. She did it in the court of public opinion. I can tell you right now, the court of public opinion, like it's great for Twitter. It's there is. It's not going to. In all likelihood. It's not going to benefit you long term if you're trying to continue a relationship. She obviously didn't care about continuing a relationship because if she won her lawsuit and they paid her, the minute she came out with this, she had to know this Tower of Terror movie was never going to happen. Oh, for sure. It was it was a calculated risk. It was it wasn't a risk. It was a decision. It was a calculated decision that unfortunately is going to blow up in her face. But, I mean, look, it is what it is. Um, I see both sides of it, and I'm not just wearing the mouse-colored glasses here. I'm talking from contracts and legally. If she doesn't have much ground to stand on, you're not doing yourself any favors. And if Disney turns around and says, hey, we handed Emily Blunt the Tower of Terror, or we handed, it's not going to be Emma Stone, but they handed another big female in Hollywood... Angelina Jolie, because, you know, she produces, she directs. Maybe they go to her and say, hey, we're not going to do any more Maleficent movies, but, you know, we think you'd be great in this Tower of Terror thing, and she could pull that old Hollywood thing off. For sure. And, she, well, she's still with them. She's got the Eternals. So I'm She's going to be tied up in that for a while, though. But I'm saying, if, 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 you turn, if you turned around and said, hey, Steve Martin, you want to produce? Then, yeah, then it's going to blow up in their face. <laughs> And people are going to say, well, you're trying to be pro-female in this in this age where we're trying to get the equality with pay and equality with title and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm all for that. But Disney avoids any bad PR by going to any of their big stable of A-list female actresses and saying, hey, why don't we hand you this project instead? Sure. But it is what it is with ScarJo. Cruella 2 is happening. Emma Stone is coming back. Um, this, this one does not surprise me because she did not go so ham in the press the way that ScarJo did. I think that there is some bad blood, but I think there is a handshake agreement. As I said before, and I will say it again, she is going to be overpaid for this second movie that I would guarantee you is not going to be released on Disney+. Plus. I don't, I would guarantee you it won't be released on Disney+, Plus, and that might be drawn into the contract as well. I agree. You said you're not surprised that she's getting a second one as far as the actress goes. What about story-wise? I, I, we, haven't re, we haven't reviewed Cruella yet. That's coming at the time of this recording, actually, as crazy as it sounds. That's a few weeks away. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil how the movie ends, but the way that the movie ends kind of leaves me with more questions than answers. Um, So story-wise, they have to do something. They have to do something because 
the jump that she makes from where we leave her at the end of Cruella and where we find her at the beginning of 101 Dalmatians, there's something massive missing for the character. It would not make sense for her to behave the way that she does in 101 Dalmatians, given what we saw at the end of Cruella. So I think there is a story there, but I think they have to toe the line. Right, because what people didn't like Cruella is that space in between. Uh, Because, spoiler alert, no puppies were harmed in the making of that film. And I think that that's where people have a gripe with it, was that, I mean, obviously they're not going to show her harming an innocent puppy. But Cruella wants to kill them to make fur coats. And that all got danced around. So we see the backstory. We see the trauma of her childhood. We see how she got sort of to what we know today. But there's still a trigger that's missing. And I I thought that that's why I thought that's why we were going to leave it where we did because we were just going to dance around it and not make her do anything that is so cruel. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe they go for it. I'm not saying they're not going to show anything, obviously, but you're going to have to get her there if you're doing another one. I'm excited to see it, though. I She was so good in the first one that I'm excited that we're getting a second one. I hope what they do, maybe the beginning of the movie is filling that space in between and we see 101 Dalmatians from her side of it. Like, they're going to bring us up to speed to the story that we know, but we're going to see what's going on when she's barking orders at Horace and Jasper, and then she just leaves. I would like to see her, like, in pursuit a little bit more, you know? For sure. All right, let's talk some Parks news. Um, where I know what I want to finish with. Um, okay, let's talk about... 50th anniversary merchandise. It's so pretty. It's. Uh, did you see the pictures of the people waiting in line at World of Disney? I did. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, that wasn't a surprise. No, I would have been on that line. If I was there, I would have been on that line. That was like the Walt Funko line when they released it. It was crazy. This merchandise, though, and they're going to clobber you. Let's just call it what it is, is going to be. And this is where the mouse gets you. It's going to be worth Every penny you spend on it. This, I like a lot of the apparel and a lot of the souvenirs that they have at Walt Disney World. Some of it is just the same shirt you've seen a hundred times. They just changed the last number on the year. Mm -hmm. But man, is this stuff impressive. Yeah, I wasn't really big into the spirit jerseys. I have one from Christmas and that's it. And the only other one I like is... And I mean, this is like my entire wardrobe. It's a plain black shirt with white lettering. And that's the only one I kind of dug. This I've seen like two so far (laughs) that I really like. And what amazes me too, I knew they were going with the iridescent look to match, uh, you know, the new Mickey and Minnie wardrobe and what they're doing for all the characters. Um, I love how it looks on that blue. And that blue reminds me of the opening, the classic Disney 90s opening. Yeah. I feel like they matched it on purpose. Whether they did or they didn't, I don't care. But I I love it. I went down the spirit jersey hole last year when we were there. 
when I got the Hades one for Halloween. And I'm like, this will be the only one I get. I'm going right back down that rabbit hole. Yep. When we get down there in November. Yep. I'm, I can't wait to get this stuff in my hands. Maybe we'll have to. Hmm. We may have to bring something back to surprise one of our well, loyal listeners with. We've done it every trip. We always do. So hmm. why stop now? Somebody's going to get a present. We, we have some big prizes coming up, though. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Talking about excited for things that are coming up other than the 50th anniversary and its merchandise. The Space 2020 restaurant is opening at Epcot Center. This is the space-themed restaurant over by Mission Space. Right now, they said mid-September. We don't have an exact date. I don't know if Disney is, like, trying to hide the date from us or if they're not convinced that they can have it ready by the 10th or the 17th. They're calling it mid-September. What I have seen online, though, like, is it's, to me, it's very impressive. Like, at first I thought, why would I want to go into a restaurant and sit in front of a movie screen? I'll do that at 50 Sci-Fi. Air conditioner. This looks so cool, though. It really does. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of forgot about it just because I have made my feelings known about Harmonious and my focus has been so much on that and how it has destroyed the aesthetic of World Showcase. Uh, I kind of forgot this was happening. Also because, you know, the front of the park is in shambles and we're still waiting on Cosmic Rewind, which is not going to be out for quite a while. Uh, I had sort of forgotten about this one, but uh, I'm excited for it. I I think it's going to breathe new life, much needed life into Mission Space because I feel like that came out with such a bang. I remember when it opened and everybody was so excited about it and people were getting sick because they couldn't handle the uh, simulator. The G-Force, yeah. So I think that's going to give some much needed love over to that side of the park. And I hope that... You know, it does become a really popular attraction again, because to me, that feels like one of the last little pieces of old school Epcot where you had that edutainment. I agree. And I think it's important that they hang on to that because I think it's important to not lose sight of the fact either that part of the reason why they put that ride there was because of the connection to Cape Canaveral. I mean, you are... 45 minutes from the Kennedy Space Center. So I think that was important for Disney and especially at Epcot to still like put that on a pedestal. And especially now with SpaceX being what it is, like NASA's kind of back. You know, NASA wasn't back for a while because, you know, the space shuttle came to an end and they just weren't really doing a lot. But now I feel like NASA's back. So I think it's important that they keep the edutainment, they keep that Florida connection. But I think that it's it's a fresh coat of paint um, in an area that desperately needs it because Mission Space is fun. But I, to me, once you've it doesn't have a ton of rewritability. Um, I miss Gary Sinise in it. Like I loved going in and Gary Sinise was there. It just made me feel like I was a part of something like Apollo 13. Um, but you needed another eatery. That's the thing. You needed another... You needed another crowd draw. You needed another people suck to get people into a restaurant and maybe free up some space somewhere else in the park, especially because they are changing so much. And I feel like a lot of the pathways and walkways are going the way of the dinosaur because they're just adding so much stuff. 
you need something that's going to draw people in. Why not another restaurant? Well, I guess that's it. You have to balance it out because there's Frozen now, obviously. That's a huge ride. Uh, and it's far more popular than the Maelstrom ever was. Uh, and now you have Ratatouille. So if there's going to be a more of a draw to Epcot other than the festivals, if you're drawing more kids in because of these rides, you need something to balance it out, like you said. All right. Let's talk about some. Let's talk something controversial. Our favorite. Yeah. You know, we never do that on Monoreal Radio. So Boo Bash just started. And now they've announced Disney's very merriest after hours. When I saw that title, it wasn't a very merriest Christmas party. It was very merriest after hours. If you're a fan of Disney, if if you go to the parks, you know that these after hours events they're not they're, they're different than a party, right? The party happens on the regular. The after-hours events happen not quite as frequently. So when they do happen, there is a price to be paid for it. And a lot of people gladly pay that price because you're getting something super exclusive. Well, 24 dates over the course of a month is not super exclusive. To me, this is just a party. But you're charging it as if it were an after-hours event. A lot of people on social media have a lot of things to say about this right now. Um, I think that this is sort of a very scary precedent that we are setting. I understand that you couldn't do not so scary and you can't do very merry full out because at the time that they would have needed to start planning for it and booking tickets, uh, the fireworks weren't even back yet. And we still don't have parades in full. We still have cavalcades. Um, so I understand why the safe move here was to scale back. What I don't understand is why they are charging these insane prices when we're getting less than we normally do. And that's, you know, what the big outcry on social media has been. Um my fear though, just because of the track record that we have seen so far, is that Chapek is not going to understand that I think a lot of the reason that people are willing to pay a premium for it is because the park hours are also not back in full yet and we're not getting extra magic hours in the Magic Kingdom and I think that that's why people are willing to pay for the upsell is just to literally buy more time in the park because you're not getting more for it all that you're getting is a couple of extra hours and you'll be able to get on rides a little bit easier because the crowds are going to be even thinner. So my fear in all of this is that Chapek is going to figure, okay, well, we charged them $250 this time. Why not do that for Very Merry? Yeah. Um, here's the thing. This is basically the same thing as Very Merry the way that it's structured with you have a you have a special parade you have a special firework show you get snacks and you get to stay after hours 
What they're not telling you, though, until you really delve into it is, for Very Merry and Boo to You, you could start arriving at the Magic Kingdom at 4 p.m. for the party. For this, you can't go till 7. It runs from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., but you're losing three hours off of your entrance time. They're not doing the character meet and greets. Those are suspended. We know that. So you, so you don't have that. And instead of getting the endless cookies, hot apple cider, and hot cocoa, you're now getting ice cream, popcorn, and bottled water. Or as they call it, bottled drinks. What kind of ice cream? But but do you want to go to a No, Christmas I party? want the answer stay. to my question because stay. now I'm really going to start thinking about it. I this. can tell you what it is. It's probably the Mickey Premium bars. Probably. It's probably that and an ice and like an ice cream sandwich. But if you're going to to the very merry Christmas party, do you want ice cream or do you want the hot apple cider with the nice fresh baked cookie? You know what I'm saying? Like there is there's a certain character element that is the food. Mhm. So if I'm getting look, I love popcorn. I like ice cream, but if I'm going to Very Merry, I don't care if it's 90 degrees. I want a hot cookie, and I want hot apple cider. Right. I want hot cocoa. I want to feel like I'm at a Christmas party. What's the difference between a Christmas party and just being there at 3 in the afternoon, other than it's dark? That's the problem. Right, especially because you are going to theme up all of these cavalcades. $169 is the cheapest price. It goes all the way up to $229. Now, I'm thinking... There are people that wondered whether they were tiering it, as in the more you spend, the more you get. That's what I thought. I have the feeling that, because they've done this in the past with the parties, the closer you are to the actual holiday, the more it goes up in price. Like, for example, somebody that's going to go to Boo to You, like Boo to You would be happening right now. Boo Bash is happening right now. It would be they charged less because people don't want to go to a Halloween party in August. They want to go to a Halloween party the last week of October. Right. But it costs you more to go to last week of October. So, like, I'm fine with the staggered pricing. We've seen it before, but this pricing is insane. It's crazy. If you go the first week that they have it available, and you're a family of four, because there's no kids price it's this is the price that it is my first instinct was that it was tiered and then i thought oh kids and adults no not at all so 169 we'll just call it 170 if you're a family of four ooh, 680 dollars but people are going to pay it and that is what my fear is chapik does not understand he no, just he doesn't. Doesn't. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get it and you watch next year if we can get parades and fireworks back in full. This is still going to be the pricing. Well, Th- this is going to be your base. Two fifty is going to be your base. Do you want to know what my fear is? My fear. I don't think they can do it. My fear, though, is that they start running fireworks and nighttime spectaculars like a nighttime parade after hours, say three nights a week at a premium. I I don't think they can do it. I think that the blowback from that would be massive. But never say never. It's private property. They can do whatever they want. Right. But you can see where we're on that slippery slope now because, and, you know, we've seen Chapek, he's starting to have a track record of doing these things, of taking things that are part of the package and part of what you're paying for. And we, we had said this a couple of weeks ago. 
what makes Disney Disney and what separates them from any other type of vacation is that they take care of everything for you. You're paying for it somewhere, but it's still moderately priced enough where you don't feel like they're hitting you over the head. The fear here is that instead of extra magic hours, which was always a perk for staying on property, they leave the hours where they're at if he realizes how much of a buck he can make by doing this, like you said, three nights a week. The only thing I think that would stop this is how much the labor cost is going to be. And sometimes it isn't just realistic because that's, you know, there's an entire overnight team that keeps these parks clean and, you know, does all of the, the maintenance and the gardening and all of it. I don't know that you could eat into that realistically three times a week. Um, I think, yes, I think you're right about that. My thing is this. Prices, it's not gasoline. Prices don't go down. Right. Okay. They got you for 169 now. They're not going to turn around and say, hey, guess what? It's 129 now. Thanks, folks. Because I think when we did Very Merry two years ago i think it was 120 and i think that was up from 100 but at 120 to get all of that i didn't care and if if i'm somebody that's down at disney world let's say that you want to do two days in the magic kingdom but you don't have enough time on your trip to do two days in the magic kingdom it was easy to swallow if you're a family of four at this point. Okay, yeah, it's still $400 or $480, but you were willing to spend it when you were walking into the Magic Kingdom at four in the afternoon, getting to stay until one o'clock in the morning. I mean, you're getting nine hours in the park, plus you're getting all of these really good quality snacks included. It, you could stomach it. You could stomach it. I don't think at nearly $700 for some popcorn and a bottle of water, you can stomach it. But the price isn't going to go down. What is the incentive going to be for them to lower the price next year and give you more? There's not one. There is none. There is not one. So, like, th- I this is what it is. Unless this is an absolute failure. And And it's up to Disney to consider what does that mean. What does an absolute failure mean? Is it that the the ticket sales aren't exactly what they wanted them to be? Is it bad PR? It's up to them to determine. But based on what I'm seeing, there are people that are going to pay it. Because there are people that blissfully just spend money on a credit card because it's not real money so they didn't actually see it. Those are the people that are going to do this. And you'll have people that sit there and they budget their money for the year because Disney is what they want to do and they will spend it because it's just what they do. But that's that's it. That is their form of entertainment. They don't go to concerts. They don't go to a ball game. They don't go out to dinner. Like, Disney is what they do. I We have plenty of friends that it's no, I'll pay it because Disney is what I do. But that's a fraction. You know what I'm saying? I feel like there's more people than not that are going to sit there. They have a budget they have to stick to, especially post-pandemic where so many people were out of work. I just don't see, and reading the tea leaves on the internet, with the way people are responding, I've not seen one person 
sit there and say cost of doing business. Like when they had initially said that the extra magic hours were going to be for deluxe resorts only, a lot of people, myself included, said cost of doing business, cost of spending that much to stay at that resort. There was maybe a 50-50 split. There is nobody defending anybody on this pricing. Not in the very least. So that's kind of where, like, I don't... Like, I, I don't see it going down, the pricing, when they do bring back these full parties. If there's any hope of that at all, though, that's kind of... I think that's what would hinge it one way or the other. What I just wish that people would realize is that they're still not back up to full capacity during the day. So they're charging you so much more now. And that was always part of the benefit. I think that's part of the appeal is not just that it's the extra time in the park. There are less people. And I, I did voice my concerns about that over the past couple of years that whereas the first time we did very merry, we got on a lot of rides, but I felt the second time we did it, it was a lot more crowded. Why? Because they raised the capacity of how many tickets they're selling. Um, so my concern too is that people are willing to pay this when the parks aren't even at full capacity. Like we don't even have need fast passes yet because the wait times aren't that long because there are less people. You can still have cavalcades now because there are less people in the streets. So if people do pay this now, what happens when the park is at capacity? You didn't get on everything you wanted to go on. And then, yeah, it's th that, that money is looking real good to drop so that you get extra time in the parks. And you can, if this is your once-in-a-lifetime trip with the kids, you want to get as much time as you possibly can. Well, and here's the thing. We discussed this because when this party starts, I think November 8th is the first day. That's right at the beginning of our trip. We have done very merry the last few days trips and we had discussed up to this point hey would we shell it out and would we do it not for the minis fireworks thing we decided we not decided to do, no. and i thought that was gonna be the the supplement for not uh for very merry right and and it, it started as that and now it's this here's my thing if you and it wouldn't really have affected us because we would have been in the magic kingdom anyway so some people are gonna think that this is stupid but i'm thinking from an outside perspective. Let's say I was not in the Magic Kingdom that day. If you would have said, hey, look, we're in a year following a pandemic where the parks worldwide were not opened at the same time for over a year. We need to make some money back. We didn't have box office. We're spending more money on sanitization, more money on, on having a task force here to make sure everything is clean. It's going to cost you $40 more, but we're giving you everything that you got before. Sans the characters, because I understand they don't, they can't do the meet and greets. But we're going to give you all the snacks that you had. You're still going to be able to come in at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to give you everything except characters. Would you spend it? My answer would be, yeah, I'll spend it. Yeah, for only 40 bucks, sure. For only 40 bucks. But that's the problem. I think they, they're, they're thinking is, well, it's only $40. They'll spend it. But when you're shaving three hours off the front end and you're not getting as much value in regards to the food that they'd be giving you, now I think twice about it. Now, sitting here, if you ask me, am I got I'm not I can't. I, I can't I cannot it's the it's it's the first time I've ever said this. 
which may surprise people, but it's the God's honest truth. I spent $200 to build a toy at Savitz. <laughs> this is the first time I have sat here looking at something for a Disney trip and thought to myself, I, I don't think I can justify this right now. I really have to think about it. But you just, that's the perfect comparison because you're getting so much value for that $200 at Savvy's. You're for, getting for a 25 minute experience. But that's it. It's the takeaway of the product that you're actually building that you're going to have presumably for a long time. It's the performance. That's the other thing that you're getting. You know, the, the cast in there is absolutely incredible. I, I see the value in that and I'm not nearly as big into Star Wars as you are. And I had I had a blast watching you make this thing and just being in the room, um, you know. And you could argue too that two hundred dollars got you a plus one in there, even though I didn't get to build. I still got to be in there. Right. That's good value. I don't see the value in this. It's very very difficult. It's very 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 difficult, and it's it's scary. The precedent I do think is scary. But we want to know what you have to say about the very merriest after-hours party, or perhaps ScarJo or Emma Stone. You guys let us know. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Again, all of that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. The email is monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything, it is always online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>